Amen. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23 is where we will start. And today we are observing the Lord's Supper, and we're going to take a look at what Scripture has to say and what that means for us and, you know, why, why we actually take time to set aside to, um, to, uh, to practice this ordinance. If you'll be with me, read with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So the institution of the Lord's Supper was, was set in place for us to remember. You see, the title of our message is to, as a look at the Lord's Supper. And whenever we look at the Lord's Supper, the observance of it causes us first to take a look backward. Notice, in, notice the two places, it says, and do this in remembrance of me. To recall a memory of a past event, something that happened um, that Jesus uh, went through, the event of the crucifixion, the, the event of Jesus' death where his body was broken and his blood was shed. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Call to your mind often the thing for which I did for you. And Jesus wants us to take the time to set aside the time to, get, to join together in remembering this event. So it causes us to take a look backward. He says, proclaiming his death, it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. We need to make sure that we continually remember the price that was paid on our behalf. If there's ever a time where, we, where the cross of Calvary does not move us, we need to have a, a new recollection. We need to go back and revisit the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the suffering that he went through for the purpose of saving your life. We all need to be able to say that he did this for the purpose not to save everybody's life, but he did this to save my life. When it, when it, when it no longer becomes personal, when it no longer moves us, we need to revisit, we need to remember clearly the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. So we're briefly this morning, I want us to go and recap the crucifixion. Turn with me in, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, we're, we're going to begin where he actually institutes the Lord's Supper here. In verse 14, Luke chapter 22 and verse 14, it says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them, With a fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you, before I suffer. Jesus knew what was about to come. Jesus understood the reason for which he had came, and he understood the, the way that it was going to have to come about, and he understood it was going to be an amount of suffering 
for him, but yet he still came, still willingly did it. The amount, of, the amount of anxiety and the amount of worry and the, the amount of pain that he had felt within himself before the crucifixion even began was something that was so tremendous. Knowing, knowing the thing for which he was going to have to go through, he knew he was going to have to suffer, but yet he desired to sit down with his apostles and observe the Passover meal with them. And he was very clear when he said, I wanted to do this before I suffered. So don't think that this was an easy task for Jesus Christ. He was, he was all human, all God at the same time, but yet this was something that really agonized his heart. And we can see that whenever we skip forward to verse 42, Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. He says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Speaking of the event that was about to take place in the very, very near future, which was the crucifixion, he knew that he was going to have to hang on the cross and die for all mankind, for the sin of the entire world. And he is praying here, God, if there's any other way that this can be done, I want to do that. If you can just take this cup from me, if there's another way to save the world, I want, this, I want that way. But yet he was willing to say, not my will be done but I want yours to be done. This is the very Son of God asking for a different way. But however, he knew that he was going to have to face it. And he, he was willing to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And as we continue, it says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Even having an angel strengthening him, Jesus, in the very next verse, it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So even the strengthening of an angel still did not get rid of the agony of his heart, understanding and knowing the pain that he was going to have to suffer, not for everyone in the world, but you need to personalize this for you. He was willing to go through this for each and every one of us. And think the Son of God suffering agony so much that if you continue to read, that he began to, to sweat blood drops. Now, I, I can't pronounce the condition that this is, but what happens is under tremendous amount of anxiety and a tremendous amount of stress and a tremendous amount of fear, it can cause the blood vessels that feed the, the, the sweat pores to rupture, causing the blood to pour out of the, sweat, of the sweat pores. It happens in occasions of extreme stress and fear. It's happened in people who are on death row who are about to face their execution. The pain and agony was so real for Jesus, but yet he's still willing to move forward. But not only this, Jesus was willing to become a man, willing to, to, to suffer the pain and the agony that he was about to face. But not only that, but in verse 48, we see that he is even betrayed by someone close to him, Judas. And I believe that it was God's will for him to for him to be an apostle, to follow, follow Jesus Christ. And as the, full, as the scripture was fulfilled, yes, he did portray him. Portrayed him in a most in, in, intimate way with a kiss. It's kind of like getting a hug from someone as they stab you in the back. But Jesus faced even betrayal to die on the cross and to pay for the sin of the world. In verse 54, we see that, you know, that towards, as the night went on, after being betrayed by the kiss, he was arrested Arrested, taken into custody like a criminal. 
the very Son of God, in the midst of the people in which he created, are now arresting him, coming by night and arresting him. And in verse 63, as the a, as a story goes on, the very Son of God, who became a man to live in the world in which he created, his own creation, his people that he created, the people for whom he came to die, it says, now that the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him, and having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy, who is the one that struck you? Yet he's willing to continue. As we go down to chapter 23, as he faces Pilate and then Herod, and then he gets sent back to, sent back, back to Pilate again. They can find no fault in this man, but yet he's, he's standing being accused. In verse 10 it says, And the chief priest and the scribes stood vehemently, vehemently accusing him, accusing him, wanting him to be put to death, begging the powers that be to, to punish him and to sentence him to death, but they don't want any part of it because even they can see that he's innocent. But not only that, the people cry and say, no, we want you to take him. We're willing to trade. We're, we want to trade him off. And in verse 17, it says, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, one who had broken the law but also committed murder. What a shameful thing. You to be traded. But not to be traded off for something better, but something far worse. Someone who is a murderer. The people for whom you came to save were crying out, we don't want this guy. We want the murderer to be amongst us instead. And the Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them. In verse 21, it says, but they shouted, saying, crucify him, crucify him. The one who's already been deemed innocent. He's willing to suffer the embarrassment for us, but yet he's willing to continue. As we go on down to verse 32, it says, And there were also two others, criminals, led with them to be put to death. The very Son of God who came into this world to save mankind is lined up next to criminals as if he were one himself. But yet he continued to move forward. He's continuing to do that for the sake of all of us here today. For all mankind who had lived, he is willing to suffer the, the um, willing to suffer even the shame of it. In verse 33 it says, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, they crucified him. They had nailed him to the cross and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And even in that, Jesus said in verse 32, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in our willful ignorance, he's still willing to move forward to make sure that he accomplishes his mission. And look at the great restraint that is exercised here in verse 35. It says, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, if he is the chosen one. Can you imagine the, the restraint that it would require for any of us not to lash out? Especially if we had the power to strike everyone dead in that position, we would have. 
But Jesus, knowing that that would not fulfill the, the, the mission that he had been sent on, it was not going to be, it was not going to uh, give him the end result that he had sought, which was to bring his, honor, his father glory, which was to give his life a ransom for many, to shed his blood. He was to die on that cross as a sacrifice for all mankind. And even in the shame and even in the ridicule, he exercised only a divine restraint against them. And in verse 44, it says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all of the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, in harmonizing the gospel, that, that cry out was, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The only time in history Eternity past, present, and future where there was a separation between the Father and the Son because Jesus Christ had become sin for all of mankind. And he was willing to do that for my sake and yours. He was willing to do that. We need to remember of the huge sacrifice that was made on our behalf. This completely and totally bankrupted heaven. The life of the very Son of God was put to death for our benefit. This is something that we truly need to remember. And as he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Being separated from God and the Son refusing to even shine. He went on to say, and when Jesus had cried out with this loud voice, he said, frankly, not frankly, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. All of that was for you. All of that was for us to be able to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. For us to gain eternal life, for us to have forgiveness of our sin. That's why when we come together and we break bread and we drink of the fruit of the vine, that we, that we remember the awesome sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Everything that Jesus Christ suffered... Everything that he went through was for the purpose of saving our souls. We don't need to forget this because we deserve to be on that cross. We deserve to be suffering the pain and the agony of the separation from the Father for an eternity. That is truly what we deserve, but yet Jesus was willing to come and to put himself in that place and to be that holy sacrifice, that substitution for each and every one of us. And he's willing to do that. So let's truly, as we break bread this morning, as we come to the table, let's remember by looking back at what he did for us. And as we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, not only do we need to look back, but we're also instructed to be able to look forward too. We look forward in the sense that he says in verse 26, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six, 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So not only in the Lord's death do we have something to look back to, back, to, look back to but in his resurrected body, in his ascension, he has promised to come back as well. The reason that we can look forward to his return is because he is truly resurrected. 
that Jesus spoke to them about being with them in the Father's kingdom immediately after the Lord's Supper. In, in Matthew's account in chapter 26 and verse 29, immediately after they broke the bread and drank of the wine, he says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He has given them something to look forward to. He's given them something to continue proclaiming the death of Christ until he comes back. So as children of God, we have the hope in Jesus Christ that he's going to come back for us one day, that we're going to live with him forever. We look forward to that because he is a resurrected king. He is no longer dead and on the cross and in the grave, but he is raised from the dead and he is alive on the right hand of the, of the throne of the Father, wanting a personal relationship with each and every one of us and eagerly awaiting the time when we can be reunited with him, as we also should. So we don't only look back, but we look forward. We can look forward because of this. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men standing in white apparel, who said, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back one day. And though this world may be full of the, the hate and the sinful, sinful things that we have to face on a day-to-day -day basis, but we can always look forward to that day when Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to set the record straight. Everything will be according to the way he would have it to be. So we look backward at the death of Christ, but because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection, we can look forward to that time that he's, that he's going to come back. And we have the responsibility of proclaiming his death until he does come back. So those are the things that we can do as we come to the table. But I also want you to know something this morning, but before we come to this table here in a few moments, we need to make sure that we take a look inward. We look back, we look forward. Now I want you to take a look on the inward side. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we are, in verse 27, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now Paul's very clear in his writing here. It's a very clear warning. We don't want to partake of the Lord's Supper. We don't want to approach the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. But he says we need to examine ourselves. We need to look inward. He cautioned about us partaking and the Lord's Supper unworthily. Now, in order for us to not take of the Lord's Supper unworthily, we need to examine ourselves. As he says here in verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we need to take an understanding of what it means to examine ourselves, and we need to find out if we truly disqualify ourselves from partaking in the Lord's Supper. There are at least two groups of people who are disqualified from partaking in the Lord's Supper. That is an unsaved sinner and the unclean saint. The unsaved sinner 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. For those of us who have truly trusted in Christ, those of us who have seen ourselves for who we are as sinners in need of a Savior, and sinners knowing that we're going to face judgment whenever we face Christ um, in, the, uh, in the next life to come, knowing that he will judge us according to this book, and we see ourselves for who we are, knowing that we are going to stand before God guilty, we, we call out to Jesus Christ seeking forgiveness and trusting the work that he did on the cross as a punishment for my sin, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just. That if we would confess with our mouth, that we will be saved. If we believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again, according to the scriptures, for my sin, then we will be given forgiveness. And the only way that we can qualify ourselves from being an unsaved sinner is to become a saved sinner. Fully trust in him. If you're here this morning and you've never fully trusted and given, and given your life to Christ, you've never seen yourself and fully said, God, I am, I'm a wretched sinner. God, forgive me. Clean me up. He can save you even at this very moment. But don't approach the Lord's table without being able to remember what Christ has done for you and has been effective in your heart. Fully trust in Jesus Christ and we'll have something to celebrate and something to remember when we come together at the Lord's table. And again, we have the unclean saint. Y'all know that none of us are sinless. No. We all, we all have our personal struggles. We all deal with things on a, on a day-to-day basis. But an unrepentant heart is one that should not approach this table. You know, if we're to participate in the Lord's Supper, if we're to do this in a worthy manner, what we need to do is we need to examine our own hearts, we need to judge our sins, and we need to confess them to the Lord. Truly, confess our sins to the Lord, um, bring it out to the table, say, God, this is what I've got, forgive me of this. Now, I'm not talking about saying, God, forgive me with plans on doing it tomorrow, but I'm talking about a truly repentant heart that says, Christ, I remember what you did for me. I remember what I put you through. I remember the things that you did in my, on my behalf. Sin was what nailed him to the cross, so don't bring sin to the table when you remember his death. We need a repentant heart before we approach the table of the Lord. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, For if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we prepare for this time of coming to the Lord's table and partaking in the Lord's Supper, this time that we're about to have is going to be a time of self-reflection, self-examination as we come before the Lord if there's sin that needs to be confessed, if there's something for which you need to pray, if you have all against your brother, make it right. If there's something that, that is going to cause a barrier between the Lord, if there's something standing between you and the Lord, it's time to clean that up. So here in a few minutes as we begin and we start getting ready to partake in the Lord's Supper, we can all come with a clean, repentant heart, being able to fully remember what Jesus Christ has done, as we remember his body that was broken, and we remember the blood that was shed on our behalf. Let's do this worthily. So right now, let's examine 
ourselves. It'll be a quiet time. We'll have some music playing. And come to the altars. Get it clear wherever, wherever you are. Feel free to you know, stay seated. Feel free to stand. But whatever we do, whenever we come to this Lord's Supper this morning, let's do it in a very worthy manner so we can fully remember what Christ has done without bringing sin along with it. Let's pray. Let's all stand. Father, we just want to thank you so much for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made. Father, may we open our hearts to you right now. May we take what is about to happen with the utmost seriousness, Father. Father, I pray that there's a lost one here today that they will give their heart to you, that they will receive your forgiveness. Father, we just pray that what we're about to do is going to be honoring and glorifying to you. And may we never forget the death of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.